0: Hello and welcome to How to Exit. I'm here today with Arturo Enriquez. Arturo is a serial entrepreneur who has successfully started, bought, and sold over 55 national and international companies across 18 industries. Personally, from his own portfolio, primarily in the small business space, he's a sought after consultant, coach, two time best selling author, and public speaker for over 25 years. He's been involved with in well over 130 business purchases, transaction engagements, and business deals over the course of his professional care, career. He's author of Buy Yourself Into Entrepreneurship, Bypass the Startup Risk, and Buy Into Business Ownership, and The Dirty Secrets to Buying a Business Everyone is Afraid to Tell You. You don't need experience or to risk your own money to buy your first or next business. So welcome Arturo. Thank you for being on the, the show today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So where I always like to start is just kind of get the audience to know kind of who you are, what you stand for, and how you got into this business. Can you, do you mind to give us just a tiny bit of an origin story or kind of sure. how you got here?
1: Sure. So, you know, back back when I didn't know anything, um, back when I was 22, 23, you know, fresh out of college, I had a great corporate career job. Uh, I'm from Mexico originally. I'm dual citizen. And uh, nafta had just came on you know and uh, for a lot of people that haven't don't know what nafta is it just a free trade agreement between canada mexico and the united states but basically i was in the banking um uh, industry opening up bank of america in mexico so for a 22 year old like my, my career path the corporate path was going you know like 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 a learjet going straight up right uh However, unfortunately for, for me, I had that entrepreneur itch. I needed to, you know, my my dad was an entrepreneur, my grandparents were entrepreneurs, and I thought I just, you know, I can make a lot more money. And so, me and a couple of friends uh, and a cousin, we decided to go into the tequila space, right? Because the tequila got the denomination of origin in this NAFTA treaty, and so only tequila could be produced in the United uh, in Mexico in certain regions of Mexico and we thought that was just, you know, the perfect opportunity, not going to get too involved into how we got into it. We got into it and we had a tequila, we created a tequila company, um, a brand and uh, we started getting some headway Um, and creating a brand is, you know, you know, very well, it's very difficult. And so we packaged it, we designed it. Uh, The name came from a famous poem uh, the Mexicans know, so we got instant brand you know recognition, and we were ready to literally take over the tequila industry, until we were not right until the Jose Cuervo's of the world, the Sauza's of the world, the Araduras of the world. These are the main tequila players. You know, other you know aside from Jose Cuervo, which is the big elephant in the room, said, "Who is this little company that's making this little noise?" Um, and they 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 just through money. They muscled us out, and we had no idea what to do. And after about a year, you know, seeing our product on shelves, seeing customers buy our product, so having a product that was, you know, being accepted by the market, we suddenly find ourselves out of a business. I mean, I mean, there's a lot more to it, but long story short, we didn't know what to do, how to react. We didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a marketing plan. We didn't know much uh, about anything and and what was going to be an amazing you know, journey, you know, came to an abrupt end, um, even though you could still find our tequila event, you know, in some tourist you know, places in Mexico that that business, you know, had a one year life, which is kind of kind of akin to all the startup statistics. Right. Most businesses fail. 90 percent of businesses fail. Within the first year, we are now part of that statistic, and so that got me into the entrepreneur game, right? And then we started a couple other companies. Some went well. We went into the import/export. We went into um, uh, nightclubs for the all for the wrong reasons again, because I'm a 20, 24, <laughs> 25 year old who doesn't know much about anything. Uh, was a little, you know, was a you know was a shaker and dealer. Uh, so, but I was doing it because I. I went into the nightclub because I wanted to have the best seat at the house and be surrounded by beautiful women. That that was my motivator. It wasn't making money. It wasn't business plans. It it was just, again, uh, just an inexperienced, naive guy who got lucky. Um, But we started these businesses. And the sweat and the the resources and the emotional toll um, with this one nightclub, it's capital intensive. When you build a nightclub, it's all this build out. All this equipment, and we we ran out of money. I, I put all my money into that nightclub, and I got lucky because I was able to bring a partner in. But the stress and anxiety of that, um, even at that age, you know, it's it all comes with what what it what it means to start a business. So long story short, I decided to you know a couple of years later to start buying businesses and let somebody else take all that risk. Let somebody else you know, get emotionally attached, let somebody else use their capital, let somebody else, you know, use their time and, you know, uh, all those risks that are not just financial, let them do it, I'm going to mitigate. And once I find a business that's up and running, and that's stable, and it's profitable, then I go in there and I'll pay, you know, two, three times earnings. And most of the times, and this is key, most of the times, I'll pay less financially than what the original owner you know actually ended up investing again without all that emotional and time um risk and so that's how i started getting into the game you know over 55 businesses later 18 industries later you know i'm still actively involved
0: that's what appealed to me in this in this space is you know i'm 49 i'll be 50 in a few weeks here in february and um I don't know if I've got another startup grind in me, right? I did the dot-com boom back in California. Uh, I've been part of some of the, you know, uh, when 2000, I want to say 2000-ish came around, uh, I worked for some of the, the the bus companies, right? I was in defense contracting. All my buddies were making a killing in the dot-com world. I thought, I'm going to go join the dot-com world and become rich. I know computers better than most, and um, so I'll go do that. And I caught the bubble burst. So I got really good at like selling equipment, laying people off. <laughs> it was, it was kind of a miserable existence. And, but I tried, we, we went, you know, even after that, I stayed in California for a little bit, you know, went from startup to startup, made some money with some of them, but no like huge home runs, but the 60, 80 hour weeks, I just don't have that in me at this stage. Right. Like When I, when I've tried to figure out what to do next, it was, it wasn't, Hey, go come up with an idea, build a team, pull 60 to 80 hour weeks, bootstrap it, put every penny and every asset you have into it and see if it works. Um, I was looking for something better. And and I really believe this is, this is there, right? You've got a proven business model. You've got revenue. You've got a team. Um, You know, I'm kind of where you're at instead of uh, building it. And I've, I've had mine. I didn't do a tequila company. But uh, I tried to, I built an online dating site that cost me, let's just say it was six figures in the high six figures and uh, everything I had in 401k, I liquidated everything to build this online dating service to only find out that they have a chicken and egg problem, right? Nobody wants to be the first lonely soul in a chicken, in a dating service. And without anybody there, nobody signs up, right? So you got the, like, who comes first, the audience or, you know, somebody signing up. So uh, that was a, you know, and I, Nobody, nobody would loan or nobody would, uh, the VC route wasn't interested in, in what we were doing. They just put out $125 million to e at the time. Right. And, uh, when I went, I mean, I spent a lot of money flying around and pitching VCs, you know, they love the concept. They love what we're doing. And, uh, but it just didn't work. So I learned a variable value about the lesson there too, is, uh, there is a need in the space for startups and ideas and people to go out and cut us, you know, cut a kind of new space in a, in a particular market. But, uh, that's not my space. My space is to go out and find something up, running and working and, and, uh, work with that. So, um, let's jump right into kind of, what have you, what are the things that you picked up? I mean, you've been doing this now, I think the, the thing said 25 years, is that right? Yeah,
1: If you count you know, the tequila days, right. Uh, yeah. about 25 years, I mean, really buying businesses and, and, you know, owning three to five businesses at any one time, probably about 15, 16 years now.
0: What would be one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of this that, you know, now, like, like, what's the, like, what's the, uh, when you first decided to buy your first business, you know, what did you not know at that time that you, you're, you're pretty skilled at at this time?
1: Well, the mystery, you know, it's, it's the mystery of the unknown. Right. Uh, so, so think about this. I've been in 18 different industries. So of course, I don't, I didn't know anything about any one of those industries prior to me buying a business into them, right? So had I been scared or feared the unknown, the mystery of, I don't know anything about this industry, right? So the first thing we bought was a restaurant, right? And I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. I remember the first week when we had just bought it, I, I had a panic attack because I'm like, well, how do they, how do they possibly Come out with a hundred dishes in a fifteen-minute span when this restaurant is full. How is that done? And everything perfect, right? Uh, meaning, how how does the production facility, which is their kitchen, you know, produce all this in this timing with the with the same amount of quality? And I, I was scared to death because I I didn't I, I didn't know. Of course, the the process was already in place. You know the the. The cooks and the bussers and the prep people were already in place. So the, the skilled labor was already in place. A system was already in place to allow that to happen. Right. And so I didn't I didn't I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as plates. And that was a big you know, that was the biggest probably uh, aha moment to me is I don't need to understand this. I need to understand that there's people that understand it. I don't need to be the expert. You know, and I just need to concentrate on the actual business side of it. And, and that was a, a big catapult because it, it took away that mystery. Right. And I've since gone into theater companies. I've, I've gone into oil and gas. I've gone into uh, metallic fabrication facilities. I've gone into pest control. I know you're, you know, you own or you, you did own a pest control company. I've gone into the wildlife management side of pest control, which is a whole different ball game. Right. I've owned pool companies. I've owned real estate companies. I've owned, you know, so many different other companies that I had no prior knowledge in them. Just like tequila. I, how do you produce tequila? Right. From um, um, so oh, a plant, just, right?
0: Agave I was, or something <laughs> like
1: that. I was just fearless <laughs> back then. Right. I was fearless. Um, so so the, the biggest one is um, anyone can do this. One, two, don't let your lack or your what you think is lack of experience you know, detain you and understand that you're going to buy something that's already running prior to you buying it and will be running after you buy
0: it. Yeah. One of the things that happened on that big project I was telling you before uh, we launched the podcast today uh, is we uh, got introduced to Dan Sullivan's book, Who Not How, right? Right. And this, I don't know if you've read that one or seen that one, but he's got a book called who, not how, and any, and one of the beauties inside of that is anytime, one of the things he says inside of there is anytime you find yourself procrastinating or in fear of not knowing something, it's probably because you're not the right guy to be doing it. You probably should go find yourself a who. And the the, the, the amusing side of that book is uh, I was listening to it in the car and I, I'm hearing impaired. So I always have headphones on and, um, uh, my daughter was wearing the other set of headphones and I didn't know I had them synced up. So sometimes I actually have my bone conduction on and the over the ear ones on, but she had my over the ear ones on. I had the bone conduction ones on. I didn't know they were synced up to play the same thing. And she, uh, she, she's, she was four and a half, five at the time. And, um, and she told mommy, said, daddy's listening to Dr. Seuss, you know, I said, Dr. Seuss. And he says, yeah, he's listened to the owl book. Who, 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 hoo hoo, right? But anyway, the beauty of that book is anytime now I figure out, wait, wait a second, I don't know this industry very well. I was like, who do I know that does? I, I don't have to know these industries. I don't have to be the expert in something. I just need to know, like, you know, is there already somebody on the team that knows that that's, that's going to stay? Or do I know somebody from outside of that looking for a cool project that wants to come in and be part of this, right? So uh, right. I'm a big right. fan of that. You know, like just find a who uh, for that. And I love learning. So uh, this really appeals to me in the realm that one day I'm looking at video production and crypto and not crypto as the coin or anything, but crypto is in NFTs and all this other stuff. And the next day I'm looking at marketing agencies and, you know, um, that it appeals to the ADD in me. <laughs>
1: you yeah. know, yeah, the, the key here is not, you, you don't have to be the, the skilled man, you don't have to be the, or woman, you know, you don't have to have those skills. You I know, mean, I, I, we, we, we had an oil and gas company, you know, this was a $70 million oil and gas company that did secondary and tertiary uh, recovery. Trust me. I had no idea what that meant when I was buying that. Right. But all it is is that they're going in into older wells that have been, you know, clogged in and they're re-stimulating. That's all that means. Um, I, I, you know, it takes a, a lifetime, really a full career to understand geology, to understand oil, to understand the, the equipment, to understand the different players involved. There's absolutely no way, even even while I owned the business for a couple of years, that I was ever going to be an expert in that. And that wasn't my role. My role is to understand it, understand the, the key, um, you know, the KPIs, or the, the key indicators what goes into those key indicators, making sure I have the right management team and the right people in the right seats, right? And then lead the strategy. It's
0: interesting. One of the guys I spoke to on either on the podcast or one of the mentors I've hired, he mentioned that, you know, a lot of people think business is a marathon or a sprint and you got to run the whole race yourself in order to get the ribbon at the end. He said, it's not, it's a relay. And what you really can do is just pick up the the baton from somebody who's run three quarters of a mile and run the last part of it for him and still win. And that's what we're doing. When we're buying an existing business, you're taking you're taking that baton or you know that, that little wood or whatever they call that thing. I'm not a runner, uh, but if you you're taking you're taking over that that responsibility of that company and taking it to the next level. And uh, you don't have to be the guy who has a lifetime experience of the industry, a lifetime of knowledge in oil and gas, as you say. Uh, you could be the guy who just knows how to combine you know 15 other companies into it or five other companies into it, make it you know time, you know, how to scale it a different way. And, you know, uh, I've met quite a few people who have got into industries they had no idea about and got out of them and making, you know, life changing amounts of money. Um, Like we were talking a little bit earlier, I've I've done real estate. You know, you do a real estate deal, you've got comfort money. You can make pretty decent money on that. If you do three or four deals a, a year, you can be really comfortable you do three or four of these business acquisitions and mergers deals, you know, in a short period of time. You could absolutely change your zip code. Um,
1: <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> you are absolutely right. A lot of people, you know, you, you hear that, you know, of course, uh, online learning right now is, is on the rise. And there's a lot of courses out there and programs and uh, teaching you how to get into different types of businesses. Right. And they all they all talk about creating wealth. Right. And that's key. Wealth. And I, I, I know none of them understand the meaning of wealth because one thing is to, 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 to make money. Another thing is to change, you know, have a life transformational experience, right? And when you make wealth, your life transforms, right? It's not just about making money. Making money doesn't transform your life. You know, achieving wealth. Uh, and yes, buying and selling businesses has that capacity. And I'll give you... I just use some simple math. If you get into a company um, that you buy at a two and a half times, let's call it a three times multiple, just uh, and it's making one hundred thousand dollars, right, uh, in in free cash flow to the owner, you know, just for our for for the audience. So, the the price tag on that will be three hundred thousand dollars. That's how much it's going to cost you to buy that three times one hundred thousand dollars, right? But if you're able to scale that to, you know. 200 or $500,000 in net profit. Well, two things happen. One, you scaled it, so you're making more money, right? But that multiple is no longer three, it's now four or five, right? So now it's four or five times 500 or 300, you know, and so what cost you 300, now you're selling for, you know, 1.5 to 2 million. See, that's wealth. That's real wealth. You know, that's life-changing wealth when you do that. Um, and if you're able to do that a couple of times, because it's a simple formula, it's rinse and repeat when you buy a business. And I've done this in a couple of different formats, but, you know, you're, you're, you're changing your life, right? Um, this is definitely, uh, if, if you're listening to this, this is definitely something that one anyone can do. That's, that's a tried and true statement. And I know that because I've seen hundreds of, different students from all walks of life come through our program. Um, anyone can do that. And yes, they have transformed their life, you know, f- forever um, in buying businesses. So
0: so as you were picking up this, did you go out and <clears throat> read certain topics? Did you study the different models that are out there, like uh, leveraged buyouts, bank loans and stuff? You came from the banking industry. Uh, what strategy did you start with inside of that realm?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the best type of structures is, is, is the LBO, right? Uh, the leverage buyout. And so, but there's a lot behind what an LBO could be, right? It could be a combination of seller financing. It could be a combination of, uh, seller financing and asset-based lending. It could be a partner. It could be, um, so many different other things, you know, an SBA loan, um, or a combination of all of the above and others, right? Uh, you can buy a percentage into the company, have control without having majority with a purchase option. So you can get real creative, but it's all leverage. Right. At the end of the day, everything that I just talked about is is some sort of form, some form of leverage. Right. And leverage allows you to multiply your earnings, multiply the value. Uh, so I started, uh, you know, with LBLs, Right. I started using other people's money, whether it's a bank or the owner um, or an asset-based lender, hard money lender, or a, 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 another investor. Now, because I've done so many of these deals, some some deals I do cash. Some deals mm-hmm. I bring in a, an investor, and we and we do cash, or we do a combination. So it's not it's not always, you know, no money down, right? Uh, no 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 not no money of my own down. Uh, let me rephrase that. I'm not risking my own capital, right? Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not.
0: A lot of people don't understand that when you say no money down or Jer- uh, there's a, uh, one of the mentors I hired was that J- uh, Jeremy Harbor, he says $1 down. What he doesn't, what, what he's not saying is the owner doesn't get a dollar check, right? The owner's getting a check. Sometimes True. it's from, you know, deferred payment. Sometimes it's from selling some of the assets there. Sometimes it's from doing a sell lease back on the real estate that's underneath it. There's just all these different ways, but the owner gets a check. So when, when, when business uh, when you hear that there's you know no money down I bought a business for no money down doesn't mean the owner walked away without a check. It, it just means that the money didn't come out of your pocket necessarily right So uh, I was right. working on one last year I guess I was working on one last year where uh, at the beginning we really thought before due diligence we thought we are gonna have to come up with about 150 200k. Well and it's in, uh, it was in the construction space. Uh, I reached out. We found a gentleman who uh, had grown a, uh, a similar business, uh, 100X from when he started to when he, when he left the company. And he, now he wants to be his own CEO and he wanted to buy something. We were working with him to put in that, that money to have him run this business, do what he did with the previous one. Right. And, uh, do a work for equity type of thing to where he starts off with a little equity. And over the years, if he hits his performance go, he had owned a substantial piece of that business, uh, before we got to an exit and sold it. And, uh, uh, fortunately, you know, doing the due diligence, we found lots of problems and there wasn't going to be any money required. Unfortunately, we found so many problems that the uh, IRS blocked the sell of the business because they owed the IRS nearly uh, nine hundred wow. <laughs> and sixty thousand dollars. And we're we're going to court. They had this court mediator and they told the, the they told the IRS that we uh, the, the offer we made, we, we were going to uh, buy the business, no money down, basically a dollar deal. And take over four and a half million dollars worth of debt on a construction company in the construction space. Uh, Oklahoma is small enough. I don't want to say what industry it's in, but uh, they built uh, products for the construction, construction industry. And um, they had four and a half million dollars of debt. We were going to take over that and uh, take over this you know, 60-year-old company. The IRS said, no, not until you pay us off. You're not transferring assets or anything. So I don't know if that dealer ever come back around, but uh, they have to straighten out their IRS issues. because sure. Uh, sure. You know. but, yeah, during due diligence, you'll find a lot of things there. So uh, one of the favorite questions I always have is, what is a, kind of a myth inside of this industry that you just wish didn't, you know, you could dispel right now? Like there's there's a common, every industry has them. There, like, um, there's things that people believe that are not necessarily true right yeah so yeah, in, I, the it's, buying and selling businesses
1: yeah two of them are direct one is you need money you don't you don't necessarily need money no you don't now is it harder of course it's harder right uh, if you can you know whip out a uh, a check for a hundred thousand dollars well of course it's easier uh, but you don't need money and most of the students that have come into my program don't have money they don't they don't have a a bunch of savings, you know, tucked away. Um, so they, you know, they have to be creative and we teach them how to be creative so they can buy businesses. So that's, that's one. And the second one is that you have to have prior experience right in business. Um, and again, that's, that's, that's a big myth. Um, when, and I'll use the restaurant example again. I didn't know how to manage a restaurant. I, I, I didn't know how to cook a sandwich, make a sandwich for myself in my own kitchen let alone manage a restaurant. So I didn't know what prepping meant. I didn't know, you know, the different terms, you know, you have, you have the morning and the and in between you have this prepping so that, you know, they're making, you know, food or raw material for those plates that you see. Um, and That may be naive for me, but they're making it for the week. Um, they're ordering two or three times uh, a week in certain products, and so all these little things that go in, you know, into, into running a restaurant, I, I had no idea, no, no way of knowing and why would I know? The point being is, had I, had I you know, fallen uh, um, or, you know, into the fear uh, or the mystery, I would never have bought my first business, I've never bought my first restaurant, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. And so I didn't have prior experience. You do not need prior experience. And here's the key. That fine-tuned symphony, symphony, which is what it takes to run a business. You know, we talked about uh, um, starting a business. To start a business, you have to have so many variables, you know, come together in place at the same time, like a fine-tuned symphony, right? And if one of those variables, you know, messes up, one of those instruments hits the wrong note, then that, that music is going to sound terrible, right? Well, the same thing with the starting a business. If it, every, everything doesn't fall into place... And that business is not going to be successful. Um, When you buy a business, you're buying a fine-tuned symphony. It's already all the instruments are already playing beautiful music. Can it be improved? Absolutely. You know, can you put a little oil in the trumpet or, you know, get a better drum set? Or absolutely, you could do things like that. Can you get a better, you know, musician? Absolutely, you can. And that would make the symphony better. That would make the business better, right? But all of those pieces are already in place. And that's why you don't need experience because that, again, I, I mentioned it before, that business was running before you bought it. And that business is going to be running after you bought it because processes are already in place. The product and the service are already accepted in the market. Right. The, the, the people that need to run the various different aspects of the business are already in place. Right. There's a brand that's already established. There's market share. And here's the key. It's profitable if you're looking for profitable businesses, which is what I do. I stopped doing the distressed assets and we can talk about that here in a second, but uh, I buy good, solid, profitable businesses. And so I don't need the experience of a restaurant. I don't need the experience of oil and gas. I don't need the experience of a, a theater company. I don't need the experience of a path fabrication or pest control because somebody's already, if it's a business that's in place, I do once I buy it, have to understand. it, Right. But again, you know, you know, nothing's for free in life, right? So you, you do have to, you know, roll up your sleeves at some point, but that's, none of those are impediments to buying a business.
0: Interesting is uh, one of the industries I avoid are restaurants just because they historically have a high failure rate and a low profit margin. Uh, knowing what you know now, would you buy another restaurant?
1: Absolutely. So my I, I, even, even I'll up that. Um, my best deal has been a bar. So... If a restaurant's risky, a bar is riskier, right? And had I had I gone into it with that mindset of, I don't want to be in this industry, right? So we teach we teach our students, you have to have a deal criteria, right? You can't be throwing darts kind of in the dark. You have to know why, what kind of business you want, what industry and the whys, right? What are your objectives? What do you want to do? You know, uh, it's a whole objectives and deal specifications. So a lot of people put industries as... Industries, you know, they don't want to go in and we challenge them just like I challenge myself. Would I go into the bar industry? Because, you know, bar means alcohol. Bar means late night. Bar means, you know, things that most people don't want to be involved in. However, we found the right bar with the right management team that had the right longevity. Meaning it's been in business for over nine, 10 years. A good management team in place. We bought the bar and the real estate. And we sold it 15 years later. I made my money back within nine months. Right. It's been one of the best deals financially ever. It's It's been probably one of the deals that I've been most absentee from. Uh, we put in a couple of minor processes in place, little tweaks. And we had m- not weekly, monthly meetings. Uh, and again, this is one of these high turnover, high, you know, these industries. that. So I try not to... Uh, Uh, I try not to have these, um, limiting, uh, criteria now because I have, you know, a depth of knowledge, of course, and experience, but I would also challenge a lot of people to look past the idiosyncrasies of what you think an industry has, um, the good and the bad, and look at the deal, look at the deal more than the industry, you know, and you're probably going to get a lot of duds in industries that tend to be difficult, okay so you know that up front but you may find a couple of the gems like I have
0: it's interesting is uh, never owned a restaurant my wife has a degree in hospitality uh, management um, uh, so when she was going through there were you know I I have a master's in uh, in marketing when she was going through there and studying that. And so she was telling me that, well, the average restaurant has a profit margin of three to 5%. I was like, I already decided then I was like, I'll never own a restaurant. Now bars are better. If you actually can put a bar inside of your restaurant, uh, that's a lot of times that's your profit center, right? The alcoholic beverages have a much higher profit margin yeah. than the, uh, but, than but the, so, uh the food.
1: But, so we own, a, we own a, we own a bakery right now, right? That's one mm-hmm. of the businesses we own. We bought this in 2015. Um, it's a restaurant. Uh, we added we added beer and wine. It's a French bakery. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very well known brand. It's a stable, stable, stable business, right? So that's why we bought it, right? So, so other restaurants may be up and down, right? The 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 beer and wine aspect to it didn't do much to it, right? The 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 people are going to that bakery because of of its core business, which is baked goods. And it's, it's got a big, a, a bistro to it. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. The, the beer and wine is going to add a little bit more marginal profit, but it's not going to change the business. Right. Um, so when you make that statement, um, if you add things, will it transform that? That was my interpretation of the statement. Right. Uh, you, you should buy it for the core. Right. Whatever business you buy, whether it's restaurant or not, you should buy it for the core product that it has. And you can obviously make it better. Right. But we've done this and we failed miserably. We turned a a bar into a restaurant and we lost half our, our patrons.
0: It's interesting. I was looking at a brewery because, you know. I don't even like beer that much. I like wines, but breweries are kind of the hip thing and I think it would be cool to own it. And this this facility was really cool. It had a, all the stainless steel gear. It, it was a brewery with a bar in the front of it so you could see the, you know, the brewery was behind glass. You could see everything. Unfortunately, the where they put this thing, it had for for Oklahoma, it had a crazy lease. I think the lease was like 15K a month. And the math just didn't work out. That's the reason they actually the reason they're even selling it was they set up a bigger brewery that they could sell their their micro brew to. Or I mean they could sell their bottles and stuff out of, but they didn't have any interest in running the restaurant operation side of it and, and the big visible you know piece. But um the numbers didn't work. So I, I'm I'm of the mind that like I look at the numbers before I look at anything. Right. Right. Um, there are some industries where, uh, I avoid just because of the regulations and profit. I'm in Oklahoma, right? Cannabis is huge here. Uh, there's a dispensary on every corner. There's more dispensaries on the way home than there are gas stations and stuff. It's just crazy. <laughs> I live out in the, I live out in the middle of nowhere, right? It's 27 miles from my office. Uh, I live out by a lake. I cross. From the time I leave the latest place to get groceries, like a Walmart to my house, I cross one, two, three, four, five, six dispensaries before you can get groceries, right? So, but I don't touch that just because of the federal re- regulation around it. I think they're a little oversaturated. It, it might be a play to do some type of roll-up, combine them all, do like a Seven Eleven of them where everything's in the same place or whatever. I have no moral obligation to uh, or against the industry. I just, I'm concerned that, Still federally, it's not okay. And, um, you know, considering I play on some projects that are big, international and stuff, I can't have that risk boiling over to the other teammates that I have on those bigger projects because I decided to, you know, do something that's only okay in a few, you know, a few of the states. So, yeah.
1: And and that's, you know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that's important for you to have your deal criteria, right? right? There's no right or wrong. There's no right answer or wrong answer. That's your deal criteria based on your objectives, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your risks, you know, profile, your, um, you know, your experience, you know, whatever comes behind that deal. And that's fine. You know, that's great. What I do tell people, though, like we've had chefs, for instance, come into our program to buy a business, right? They're chefs. they So they're dreaming about owning the restaurant. And so they, you know, they, they're convinced that they're not, they're not going to start a restaurant. They're going to buy one. All right. So they come into our program and we, you know, they're dead set on buying a restaurant and we challenge them through this deal criteria, deal specification exercise. Um, why? Because when you start prioritizing you, the reasons why you're buying a business, um, you know, to scale, to, you know, have more freedom, to, you um, uh, to use my experience to, you know, whatever, you know, some of them are gonna come into conflict. Right? Hey, I, I want more freedom, you know, more, more time with my my family over the weekends. Well, don't buy a restaurant because that's your busiest times. Right? So so pick one. What's more important? And so most of the chefs that have come in or you know restaurant restaurateurs have said they want to scale a business. And immediately we say, you understand that a restaurant and retail in general, by capacity, by two types of capacity, by physical capacity is limited. And by production capacity, there's only so much kitchen equipment and kitchen space to produce X. So, you you know, by the true sense of the word, you cannot scale a restaurant. You can't. You can maybe grow revenue a little bit or make the profit a little bit by being more efficient. But that's it. The only way to scale it is to open a second one. And that's starting a new business. Even if it's your brand or whatever, it's starting a new business. And so once right. we take these chefs through this exercise, I'd say 90% of the ones that have come here end up buying something different. So they, they, they come in here prioritizing their skill set and their passion as number one, and they end up buying something completely different because scaling now becomes number one, right? Uh, time with my family becomes number one or number two or number three. And that's using your skill set or your passion is not as important because everybody's number one, whether they admit it or not, is to make money. That's why they're buying a business.
0: You know, the entrepreneur in me says that there's a missing in that <clears throat> in the industry, um, but I'll never start it. So I'm going to share it. There's like I don't like to share ideas I might kick off in you know in the next you know year or so. But because this would be starting a business, not buying one, I'll, I'll, I'll share it. I personally think there's a huge opportunity. For personalized chefs, like house cleaning services, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as common as house cleaning, but if you really look into it, it's not that much more expensive to actually have somebody come to your house, cook your meals for the week. And I think if the right person got behind that, they could actually grow that, scale that, and kind of have, I don't know if you're familiar with like the seeking sitters model that was a, you know, a local Tulsa company that just created a national franchise out of babysitting because they did background checks and did marketing for them. And they would show, the sitters would show up with their t-shirts. I think you could do something similar, like to a merry maid or a seeking sitters for personal chefs. You could normalize that, but that's a startup and that's 60 hours a week and I'm not doing it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for your, for your chef people who are just determined to be in that space, I think is a missing there. I think that, uh, um, I I, I got exposure to it when I travel. I used to travel to Dallas all the time to uh, do this, uh, self development program. And we'd be down there for three or four days at a time. And they really don't give you time to go out and eat. So you're always like getting stuff at Chick-fil-A and fast food. And, uh, my health that is, that is not good for my health. I'm not a healthy guy anyway. So right. I started hiring a personal chef to make me food for the weekend. Her name was cinnamon and she was amazing. And, uh, but it wasn't that expensive. It was cheaper, I think, to actually do that. than to go, you know, you try to run out to a restaurant real quick. When you add in the travel time, the gas, the tips, the everything, it was cheaper to have her prep my meals for it for me. Right. And right. once she learned what I liked, she was awesome. Right. Like, you know, I'd have, you know, the, you know, my meals were thrown in the microwave, like Tupperware things. I throw them in the microwave; they're ready, and it was gourmet chef quality. I think there's a huge play in that. I don't know if there's something to buy in that space and turn it, you know, turn it into that. But I've always kept my eye open because uh, it's. I think there's an un, unmet need, but I think it would be expensive to market. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons yeah. I don't just go out and hire a hundred of you know personal chefs and start marketing them is. That's a startup, right? That's a. Uh...
1: Well, I've got, I've got, I want to add to that, but we could do this off, off the interview. Uh, okay. There
0: <laughs> goes my ADD. I took us into the entrepreneurial realm. So, uh... all right, cool. Um, so we brought this up a couple of times. I know what my criteria is, right? I know I want companies that are older than five years. Uh, I want there's a certain revenue model. I lean towards recurring revenue. Like once I land a customer, I want them to come back to me. That's why I'm the reasons I like pest control is every spring and fall, if you've got ants crawling off the side of your wall, I can take care of them. But chances are a new colony is going to move in next spring and you're going to call me back because I did a good service, right? I like to win a customer over and have them over and over again. So there's that's the type of stuff I look for. Um, uh, that's just personal preference. I think they're easier to grow and scale. Um, what What would you do You know, for, uh, and you don't have to give your program away, but kind of give us the high level of, what is the thought process of developing out that um, buying criteria? Is something that you know you would you know, would think would be a, a good business for somebody to buy.
1: Yeah. So so um, you know, there's the personal aspect as to why, right? The, the, the why are you buying a business? Is obviously money is one, but is it you know to get out of your corporate job? Is it because you're a freelancer? Is it because you know like yourself, you you, you were in the real estate game that you wanted to you know, up your game and, and, and buy, you know, so there's the why, right? So you have to be clear on that. Uh, but that why also has consequences, right? If I, if I want to buy a business and I'm in a corporate job with a nine to five, you know, nine to five, you know, Monday to Friday, and I want to buy a business and, but I want to spend the same amount of time with my family, then that's going to limit certain, certain businesses, right? So that decision you have to be under. You understand that that's going to some businesses are going to fall into that. Some aren't, right? So that, that decision has its own consequences, right? So you got to get clear on the personal side, and there's a there's a whole whole exercise we do on that, and then to get clear on the actual business side, right? So once I'm clear on the why personally, well, am I willing to travel uh, ten miles? Am I willing to travel thirty miles? Am I willing to? Uh, get on a plane and travel to another city or state, um, for instance, am I willing to go into this industry or that industry, right? Do I want to use my skill set? Uh, do I have a certain passion that I want to pursue? Um, and these, again, these are all, you know, the, the chef scenario is, is a, was a perfect example. They wanted to use their skill set and do a, something that they were passionate about. Um, but they also wanted to scale a business, right? And so so that, that conflicted. And so it's, it's these type of things. And my personal one is price to earnings. And that's because I understand it, right? A lot of, a lot of guys that come into a lot of people that come into our program, you know, they're not too clear as to what price to earnings are multiples and whatnot. And we teach them that. But, um, I know that I'm not going to pay, you know, more for a business from a multiple standpoint because I'm, I'm industry agnostic. So if, uh, if, if I see and I, and I get 10 to 12 deals a day that come across my desk in some fashion um, and I, the first thing I look at is price to, price to earnings. And if it's, in the, if, if it's in my range, I'll look at it more. If it's not, there, you know, next. I don't care because there's no personal emotional attachment to an industry. There's no personal emotional attachment to a passion um, or a skill set, um, which liberates me to look at good deals that I probably would not have seen had I had those, you know, those, um, you know, those conditions, so to speak. Uh,
0: It's interesting. I I really like that. Uh, I used to teach the the guys that would come and want to learn how to do real estate. I was like, quit falling in love with houses. I've never seen a house that gets me excited. I'm not excited by bricks, mortars, sticks, nails, and, and glue, which is what houses are and some glass, right? Stone, that doesn't excite me at all. Right. Numbers, right. A business side of it. That's interesting to me. I'll, I'll pay attention to that. And I, you know, I've had so many people, even mentor students that would come to me and go, but I love this house. I so would like to live in it. And I was like, yeah, you're going to pay the wrong price for it then. Right. I like that. I need to, I'll adopt that as I I, I'll do my best never to fall in love with a business. Right. Like it's really cool. It's really exciting. It's Mm -hmm. sexy. or Whatever the word you want to use the numbers are what you should be, you know, in my, in my world, the numbers are what should make me excited. Right. Does it make sense? Does it make money? Right. Does it make dollars? (laughs) And at that point, you know, the other thing I I really like what you said in there is like the time requirement. One of my personal criteria is that I don't buy anything that needs me, meaning that I'm going to have to work, you know, 30, 40 hours and the turn this thing around or fix something, you know, I, I like things that I could add, you know, that would benefit from my presence, but not that absolutely, you know, like I'm going to have to go in and do X, Y, Z myself.
1: Sure, uh, you sure. Know,
0: don't buy. I, I have a, a wife and two kids. They like to see me occasionally. I'm not looking forward to buying another job. I did that with the pest control company, by the way. I bought that as a favor to one of my relatives, and it's another job. It was way too small. Uh, so now I'm looking for a bigger one local. So if you're in Tulsa and you have a pest control for a company for sale, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was not meant to be a commercial, but Hey, um, I like the idea of like the business would succeed and it could be managed. Even if I wasn't there, my job is to improve it. Right. So then not buying myself another job is important to me. It may not be important for a lot of other people, especially if you're single, you don't have two kids at home at that. You know, I have a five year, now I'm getting them wrong. December is birthday month, so uh, now they're 6 and 11. So I have a 6-year-old and an 11-year-old, and I'm uh, still cool in their eyes, right? I'm not so cool with the 11-year-old anymore, but, you know, he's getting at that stage where he'd rather play his video games than hang out with daddy and go fishing. But uh, the 6-year-old, I'm, you know, I'm the king of the world to that little princess, so I don't want to waste any of that time. So sure. not looking for any type of business that requires me 50 or 60 hours a week. That's just not going to happen. There are a lot of opportunities out there that would run better without you, <laughs> right? right? You get to put input in, you find the who's, the people that can run them better than you. And they would probably just do better if you stay out of their way. Uh, that's what I'm looking for.
1: All right, so, so if you go into the small business space, right? Uh, most companies are owner-operated, even if they're $5 million, $10 million companies, right? Um, they're still, the owner is still very much involved. We have a program that teaches owners how to, you know, go from being an operator to a CEO, right? Working uh, on the business, not in the business. Uh, um, and here's the thing though, if you go in into it looking for absentee run businesses, which is what you're kind of describing or semi-absentee run businesses, there's there's going to be very few that you're going to find, right? Most, right? Because most of them are owner-operated. That's just the reality. Um, but here's the key. Can you take a business that's owner-operated and make it into a non-owner-operated business and thereby creating more value, right, when you exit? And absolutely you can. And that's what we do. You know, we'll take an owner-operated business. You know, we'll, we'll find a management team. We'll make it more efficient. We'll find that extra cash to pay them um, and step out and be strategic. We do that all the time. Um, And we again, we we, we teach people how to do this as well, right? Uh, Owners of small businesses. And so that way, you're not limiting yourself to a very, very small, you know, a small amount of businesses out there that are, you know, currently being run absentee or semi-absentee, right?
0: Yeah, I identified that early on. So the first thing I look for is, is there somebody there like a general manager? Is there somebody there that's like, Technically could run the business and should be running the business, you know, could probably do a better job than the owner. It's a fresher set of eyes uh, that just needs a little bit of remote promotion and a little bit of guidance. Or is there a often a smaller business that's competing that's run better? Like in that construction space, when we were looking at it, it was very it was third generation. And uh, forgive me if you're listening to this uh, is very poorly run. Uh, the two young ladies or young ladies are older than me. The two ladies were looking to retire that were running it. It was the daughters or the granddaughters of the original, uh, founders. And they just weren't doing a very good job of keeping it market, all this other stuff. There's lots of excuses, but it wasn't me and ran very well yet. There was a company that did the exact same product line, 40 miles away for sale for a third of the cost. It was run incredibly well, right? you right. are talking, a company was, their company was generating 10 to $12 million a year and their net profit was 30 to $40,000. They were pissing away every penny they got their hands on. Wow. right? The other company was generating, you know, a 30% profit margin. So my job was, my goal is I was already in discussion with both of them. I was in a buy, get them both, to, you know, to sell and then have the guys run on the very well-ran one, run the whole operation over time, like so integrated in. But uh, sure. that's what I look for. Is like, you know, find something that's really well run, and then find something that needs a little help, and then kind of put them together and make them work better. Yeah, so uh, I yeah. think there's opportunities to get around it without giving myself a 60 hour job. Now I say that I have still pull lots of hours, and I would be willing to do it for the first few months. But my objective would be to as fast as possible find somebody who could do that better than
1: me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. and get yourself out right. Don't uh, correct. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what we do. Uh, you know, when I buy a business first couple of months, I'm I'm involved. I'm definitely involved because I, I two things need to happen. One, I need to find make sure that the management and the processes are as, as good as I need them to be. But also, I need to understand the pulse of the business and the KPIs of the business so that I can monitor it remotely as an as an absentee owner. So you need both. I, right.
0: I call that developing my BS meter, right? I need to know enough about the business and everything to know wh- how it's going, how it's, you know, I need to know enough about the business, the industry, and everything to know if some BS is going on, right? There's, yeah. there's a meter like KPIs and all that stuff. It, but you got to know enough about it to understand is it on track? Is it not? Is the owner, is the management telling you the truth? Or is, there, is there something that just doesn't fit? And if you don't get in and spend some time, I can see where it'd be really hard to to develop that meter, that uh, that gut instinct about the company. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. We've been on the call now for, on the podcast now for 50 some odd minutes. Uh, one of the questions I want to get before we wrap this up is, I, I ask a lot of questions. We, we talked about a lot of topics, but uh, if you were sitting in this seat and you were asking questions and I was answering them, what questions should I have asked? What have I missed here?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think uh, the, the big one is, how, how much, you know, how much knowledge do you need technical versus the, the art of the deal? Right. Uh, you know, wh- what weighs more? Um, and and the answer to me is the art. The art by far is the most important aspect of buying a, a business. Uh, the technical stuff, you know, how to write an LOI, how to value a business, how to perform a due diligence, you know, the, the technical aspects of it, uh, how to structure it. Simple. They're, they're not that hard. How to read financial statements. You don't need to understand accounting. You just need to under, understand how to interpret them. You can find a bunch of YouTube videos and get that. It's the art, right? It's the psychology of the seller. It's the psychology of the intermediary, the business broker, whomever's in, in, in the process. The psychology of the lawyers from the seller's side, lawyers from your side, the accountants that you're going to eventually use. The psychology of the management team if you, you, you're able to meet them. And most importantly, it's the psychology of the seller and the, and the intermediary. That's going to guide whether you have a great win-win, awesome structure or whether things are going to fall apart if you don't figure that out. And that's art. You know, that's, you know, that that's experience. You know, you don't you don't get that from a YouTube video. You know, you don't you know, it's not like uh, revenues minus expenses equal net profit. Uh, I get it now. No. So the art of the deal has been really the 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 reason why we've been so you know successful across the years. So if you're thinking about buying a business, you know get someone that's that has that sense that that understanding uh, because that's the real crux. That's the real magic sauce right there. It's not it's not reading the financials or valuing a company or doing the due diligence or reading you know financial statements or, or any of the technical aspects. It's the art.
0: Awesome. So <clears throat> I've heard you say a few times about mentoring and uh, what you teach and stuff. Do you currently have a program going on?
1: We do. We do. We, we, oh. we, we launched it back in 2018.
0: Cool. How, uh, I've got a couple of points of contact for How would somebody contact you if they wanted to learn how to do this, you know, how to be in this space from you? What's the, the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Sure, sure, sure. There's two websites. Uh, one is called uh, Business Action Now, uh, so www.businessactionnow.com and the second one is uh, com. so it's my my first and last name and there's a link there as well um and then there's contact form so either one is a go you know good way to you know reach us and and, and start learning about this journey
0: so for those of you guys who are watching this on the video version i put that up on the screen i get verify i have that right is that right
1: that's correct. Yes.
0: Awesome. And then the other one I have here too. So just so people can see it, it's uh, simply his name, that one, correct? Here, here it is. Correct. We'll leave that up for a few seconds there. And uh, so I appreciate having you on here. We are going to wrap up the show, hang out when, uh, when we get off here, we'll, you and I will chat for a couple of minutes after the show. Uh, is there any, uh, parting message you want people to, to hear or to know?
1: Um, no, just, uh, uh, you don't need experience. You don't need capital. And buying a business, you're going to save yourself a lot of headaches than starting a business. You know, I'll leave I'll leave those parting words there.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, and uh, uh, we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. So, uh, thank you. Uh, we'll thank end you for time. having me. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich. With accountability partnering, where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind